Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at International Cinema at Brigham Young University. This podcast is for week seven of BYU's fall semester 2022. I'm Mark Olivier, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by Dr. Dan Paul, assistant professor of Italian in the BYU French and Italian department. Dr. Paul received his PhD from The Ohio State University in 2019. His research interests include gender and masculinity studies, contemporary Italian cinema and culture, teen films and television, road movies, disability studies, post-unification Italian literature, memory and trauma, and national identity. Welcome, Dr. Paul. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. <laughs> I love that you have many research interests. That's just like me. Yes, it's, it's awesome. Fun. So today we're talking about Icento Passi, which is um, 100 Steps. It's a film released in the year 2000, directed by Marco Tullio Giordana, about the life of Peppino Impastato, a left-wing political activist who opposed the mafia in Sicily and kind of has an untimely demise. Indeed. <laughs> yes. So this is based in real life. Could you give sort of a broad strokes overview of Peppino Impastato, like the importance of his story, sort of gives us some context? Yeah, definitely. I, I think for the most part, Impastato has, it has sort of been brought back to life through this film in some sense. His story is not one that's super well known, even though he is one of the most notable anti-mafia martyrs coming out of Sicily, right? So mm. he was always sort of politically active, I think from a young age, was engaged. A lot of the things that you see in the film are actually real. So the radio out that um, he he directs is a real radio station that he ran in real life. And, you know, he has this really complicated relationship with his dad that I think plays out pretty well in the film, although there are some historical inaccuracies mm -hmm. in the film that uh, that aren't really captured, particularly the fact that his his dad was just a terrible person. Uh-huh. And the the what the movie kind of softens that. Yeah, I mean, I bit. think to some extent, it makes him kind of relatable. I mean, you know, he just kind of wants to be seen and noticed by his family. Uh-huh. When in reality, you know, he was this super violent guy. His wife would, like, pee herself when he would come home. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think in that sense, this sort of history in rewriting the dad, the father figure is super interesting. Hmm. What do you think he's trying to accomplish with that? Well, you know, I think to some extent it helps us sort of gain access to the film because we can say, you know, I see where the dad's coming from. Mm -hmm. I can understand his uh, desire to sort of protect his family and mm -hmm. make sure that his family is safe. And at the same time, Peppino is almost played in the opposite. Like he's sort of grading sometimes. Right. And so you almost dislike Peppino more than you like his father. Yeah. Um, right. So that you're sort of relating with the mafioso and not the anti-mafia martyr to some extent. Huh. So I think that sort of, is problematic in some sense, but right. also you do feel for Peppino, I think, uh -huh. um, in, in some instances, especially through his friends and the way that he interacts with his mother, I think also softens Peppino in, in interesting ways. So, you know, speaking of, you know, the father, the, the beginning of the film really struck me as something interesting. They're getting ready to go to a family gathering mm -hmm. and... I don't know which kid it is that's got a bobby pin in his hair. I think hair. it's Peppino's brother. It's his younger brother, yeah, right? On, yeah. And the father seems kind of outraged mm -hmm. that he's got this bobby pin in his hair. Like, you know, it's a affront to masculinity. Yeah. And the mother is defensive, well, as to keep his hair out of his eyes. Mm -hmm. What do you think that, how do you think that sets up some of the gender issues in the film? 
I think that's a great question. And, and it's definitely something that the film investigates. So there's an academic who talks about masculinity in the mafia and how the, how masculinity is constructed within the mafia. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sort of theorizes it as the fear of the feminine or the hate of the feminine. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, if we're thinking about the mafia as the sort of male only society, women aren't allowed in, even though they have a pretty crucial role, as you see in the film, that is raising the children to become mafiosi to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, in order to be a man in the mafia, you have to deny all of the feminine aspects that might pop up. And so this bobby pin, which seems really insignificant, is right. sort of this token of this is impeding on the, the masculinity of this child, of this male child, and somehow feminizes that. And so we have to eliminate it, right? We have to get rid of that. We have to cancel that from our, our existence, essentially, so that we can be men in the mafia. Interesting. Yeah. So it's almost like it potentially disqualifies you from a future. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's even more problematic in the film because so you may recall the scene where Epino is reading poetry with his mom, right? Mm-hmm. And he's reading a, a, a poem by Pierpaolo Pasolini, who, who is notoriously queer, it was, mm-hmm. was gay, homosexual, right. um, was murdered because of it. Um, so that might not be something that everyone picks up on. Exactly. If, you, if you're not aware of Pasolini, then exactly. Then, uh, but it's like kind of insinuating mm-hmm. uh, his sexual orientation exactly. into the movie. Exactly. So Peppino was gay. Um, we know that he had some relationship with with a male friend of his um, from historical documents. And so, you know, I think even in that sense, this need, I mean, if I think homosexuality is seen within the mafia as the most feminine you can be, right? Mm. And so the fact that Peppino is gay, I think, problematizes the, the sort of gender dynamics in the film as well and sort of doubly marginalizes him, right? He's anti-mafia and he's also queer within the context of which the is mafia. like anti uh, uh, as anti-mafia as you could get exactly exactly <laughs> right yeah well that is we're gonna we'll get back to some of his rebellion in a minute but i want to talk about his kind of early loss of innocence and what mm-hmm. happens there's a scene with the mother right you want to talk about that yeah so um you know you'll recall that his uncle i think chase i think is his name so his uncle is mm-hmm. killed in, in a car bomb um, and he has, you know, there's this funeral and you see all of the different people that are there. And Peppino is very much an observer. He's sort of looking at all of the people that are there. And he asks this really intriguing question to his mom after um, when she's sort of cleaning up and washing dishes and asks, you know, what does it feel like to die that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his mom sort of responds and says, you know, it's just moments like you're here one moment and you're gone the next mm-hmm. kind of thing. And yet it's this really intriguing moment because it, it foreshadows the ending, right? We know right. that Peppino was also, he was killed by a car bomb, apparently tied to some train tracks, a car that was left on train tracks and was blown up, right? right. And so you have this really intriguing moment where his question really foreshadows his own death right. in really interesting ways. And also kind of problematic ways. So, you know, there's this scene where the police are searching his home Mm -hmm. and they find this note that says, I want to abandon politics and life. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that was sort of taken as a suicide note. So for the most part, people consider the story was that Peppino actually committed suicide by blowing himself up on the railroad Mm -hmm. tracks. And so they used that letter that he had written years before as the sort of suicide note. Did people buy it? 
you think? Um, I don't, I don't think people bought it generally. Uh Um, I mean, I think the Sicilians are pretty aware of the mafia and how the mafia works. Um, and this is sort of the kind of way that they have power over life and Mm -hmm. death, right? That when they kill, they kill in very meaningful ways. So a lot of times, you know, they'll throw bodies in acid or they'll explode Mm -hmm. these bodies as a way to, um, deny families the ability to mourn those wow. those bodies because there, there isn't a body left. Wow. And so it's very much one of those things where, you know, people understood that this was a sort of cover-up, that this idea that he committed suicide was a cover-up for this very violent way of assassinating Peppino. Yeah. So, as we've already said, he's very um, anti-mafia. There's There's kind of a uh, road to that uh, to to his radicalization i guess mm-hmm. that happens how, how does you know like what, what are the steps that that radicalize him to that degree you know i think a lot of this he's he's working within a society that i think is very resistant to change for mm-hmm. one and you know with anyone that is sort of radical in that way mm-hmm. they want change right they want to see parts of society or aspects of society that progress and right. they want to see changes being made at at a sort of social level. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this idea that the mafia somehow comes in and is able to sort of keep the status quo, right? Right. They they make sure that nothing changes. Even if a government changes, the mafia can step in and sort of intervene to keep everything the same, right? And so, you know, I think part of it is a reaction to that tendency to say, the mafia is moving in, stepping in, keeping everything the same. How are we going to progress beyond this? How do we overcome this to to some extent right i mean he i think that people are willing to accommodate a certain degree of rebellion sure but he he writes this article that really pushes too far for a lot of people i can't even tell you the title of the article but but um it's very anti-mafia in a really overt way and then this kind of creates it, it becomes this mechanism for dividing the characters for putting Papino in more of a dangerous position. It, it, it creates strife within his family. What, what does this process look like in terms of the division, even from his own family and his kind of spinning too far out of control where he yeah. becomes a real problem? Yeah. Well, and I think you hit on it um, because it's not so much that he's anti-mafia, but that he's vocally anti-mafia. Right. right. That he uses all of these outlets You know, he uses the written format, he uses the radio station, and that he's so vocally against so that no one can ignore the fact that he's against, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If he weren't as outspoken, it wouldn't be as much of a problem to some extent. But because he is, I mean, living in a small community as well, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone would know his position on the mafia. Right. And so, like you said, it causes these really important rifts between his family. So you'll recall the scene where, you know, after he's had this really long sort of narrative um, uh, that he does about the Mafiopolis, mm-hmm. this sort of mafia city right. um, that he fabricates. Um, he comes home and he has this confrontation with his dad mm-hmm. where his dad essentially like throws him to the ground and is like yelling at him, you know, honor your father, honor your father. Um, and that isn't one of those things where he's like, honor me as your dad uh-huh. right instead he's um wanting peppino to recognize the family with a big f which is the mafia family mm. which always comes before the biological family with the little f um so these kinds of societies. father father with a capital f exactly. here is the entire 
sort of patriarchal structure and of the mafia. Exactly. And, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he forms this radio station. You, mm -hmm. you mentioned that this is real. Yeah. Obviously, that's not a way to stay quiet and fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> could you talk a little bit about the radio? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I don't think I don't think that was ever his intention. He's he, he wants to be heard. Um, and I think he makes some really good points um, for, for the most part about how the mafia steps in. I mean, the airport itself, mm -hmm. um, that is a big part of the sort of narrative of the film is one that the mafia helped fund, right? And so mm. the mafia is involved in these kind of developments um, in really interesting ways. And so I think he uses the, ra the radio as an outlet for his frustration mm -hmm. um, to, to be a means of resistance to some of the, these things that the mafia is doing. And, you know, my, my favorite scene in the film is the one where his best friend is on the radio after Pepino's death uh -huh. and is sort of has this really passionate monologue about Pepino himself, mm -hmm. um, where he brings up, you know, the fact that Pepino isn't going to make the news. He's not going to be covered by the news. His assassination won't even be a blip on the radar mm -hmm. because on the same day in 1978, the the assassination of Aldo Moro happened. So Aldo Moro was then the prime minister of Italy, mm -hmm. um, is kidnapped by a, a communist terrorist group known as the Red Brigades, mm -hmm. is held prisoner for about 55 days, after which on the same day that Peppino is assassinated, is also killed. So yeah, you've got one huge news story eclipsing exactly. another. And I mean, and I guess some ways, Pepino is like Red Brigade light or mm -hmm, something, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it's almost like, well, this isn't as big a story. Exactly. Obviously doesn't exactly. involve as uh, many people. There, th there's this interesting relation between the kind of insularity of their community, mm -hmm. but then you have this airport that's involved, you have radio, which is broadcasting out. And aren't there people that I, I could be remembering this wrong, that, that listen to the show or something Are they're the kind of sort of outsiders that are interested in that? Maybe I'm making that up. No, I mean, all of his community, right? Like all of the mafiosi you see mm -hmm. um, during the movie listening to his radio show are, yeah. are part of the mafia, right? And so it's, again, one of those things where Peppino can't hide after that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the dad really comes in and, and really starts to sort of confront Peppino and say, listen, like, you got to stop this. I can't, if you keep this up, I can't protect you. Right. And that seems to be the sense of what he really wants to do, right? Like he's even willing to go live in the United States for mm -hmm. a little bit so that he can protect his son yeah. um, and also himself in some sense. Right? right. But there's this tendency to say, like put the, the biological family is first place after the mafia. Right? Uh -huh. So that's the, the family under which your family operates. Exactly. Well, this relation to the mafia, maybe you could enlighten us a little bit about how there's a strange kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not seen necessarily as the criminal organization so much as a family that's that's ensuring, like you said, some sort of stability. Yeah. And the, what is that? What is what's that kind of uh, maybe counterintuitive relationship with the mafia? Yeah, I mean, it's this kind of like turning a blind eye to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's this sort of tacit acceptance of this is how it works in Sicily, and this is how it's going to be. This is how it's been. This is how it's going to be. This is how it will always be, mm -hmm. right? And I think, again, that sort of comes up in the talk by his friend on the radio station where he's saying, you know, maybe we, it's just time for us to admit that as Sicilians, like we want the mafia, mm -hmm. right? Um, it does provide us the stability. It provides us this protection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the Sicilian mafia is one where if you think about the history of Sicily, it has traditionally been 
a space that has been conquered, right? There are always new uh-huh. countries and empires that have come in and sort of colonized it, uh-huh. which has led to some crazy craziness in terms of like cultures that are combining in the area. Mm-hmm. But Sicilians are sort of stereotypically and also intrinsically skeptical about anybody that comes from the outside, right? Uh-huh. And so the mafia is this sort of institution you know, it's seen as, as like a shadow state. It's seen as a, mm-hmm. a government because it can act in all of those ways. And when laws change and when governments change can still keep things as they expect it to be. Right. right. So we, on the one hand, that feels like a kind of reassuring promise. Of right. Course. But on the other, if you want things to change, then it could be a problem. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, So I guess that's where the kind of youthful rebellion comes in as a danger. Mm -hmm. And I guess he just isn't conscripted into those roles well enough. Yeah. And I think the film plays this really well. So, you know, at Peppino's funeral, you have this moment of like, where are his friends at? Are they going to show up at all? Mm -hmm. And you have this moment where his mom, Felicia, is sort of standing in the window and they start to hear all this noise. Mm-hmm. And it's this like parade that's being carried out in right. his honor. Yeah, it's kind of beautiful because yeah. they're, they're acting like you're not going to be remembered. This exactly. Is nothing. And like you said about the deaths, mm-hmm. they're made to sort of obliterate and prevent mourning. Exactly. So it is a very moving moment because you have the mother kind of breathing, yeah. um, isolated and yeah. unable to. And then that yeah that procession and you know i think what makes it even more powerful is that it's one of the moments where they sort of where um, history and fiction sort of Mm -hmm. overlap so if you go and look at images Mm -hmm. of his funeral and of his death Uh you know there's the shot of the brother who has sort of has his hand raised in the Uh air they base that off of actual pictures that were taken of his funeral oh wow Um, and so you have this really powerful moment i think where history and fiction sort of combine in the context of the film and sort of help heighten the emotion that attached to that. Right. And yeah, you see the mother grieve, you see the brother there who, you know, throughout the film is sort of resistant and Mm -hmm. not as anti-mafia as Peppino was, right. And sort Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out where he fits in and all of that. And so, yeah, it's this really powerful image of yes, Peppino did something. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, I sort of see the film as a way to, memorialize Peppino because mm-hmm. he wasn't known. He wasn't, you know, again, like he's a, he's a blip on the radar because of this other death that's yeah. more significant and more notable that happens on the same day. And I think this is a way to sort of remember him in a very meaningful way. Right. It's kind of, you know, the power of cinema to take something out of relative obscurity. Yeah. I mean, here we are at BYU, people, students seeing it right. here who... I'm guessing that the large majority haven't necessarily heard this yeah. bit in history. How did Italians receive it? Do you think like, I, I don't know, like, is there, the, was the reception, were they already, do you think people are already aware of the story well enough? Or was this like retrieving something from the past for them? So I, I would say, and, you know, I don't know 100% for sure, but I, I would say that the Sicilians at least would have known of him, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the fact that, you know, these images at the end of the film sort of replicate reality um, would seem to suggest that at least his community was aware of what was happening. In terms of um, more national recognition, I think one, the, the director is one who often has these sort of politically engaged projects, uh-huh. Marco Tullio Giordano. And so I think in that sense, they sort of would expect that from him. Uh-huh. But also, you know, this film 
is just one, I think, in a series of anti-mafia biopics. Oh. Um, so there's another one called Placido Rizzotto, uh-huh. who is about Placido Rizzotto, who is another anti-mafia martyr, I believe in Corleone. So, you know, it, it's in a particular tradition of representing these anti-mafia martyrs in biopics. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I would venture to say that in terms of reception, mm-hmm. um, it was pretty well received. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting as, a, as sort of a project, right, to be yeah. putting forth these, you know, enshrining figures of uh, anti-mafia For resistance. Sure. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, before before we wrap things uh-huh. up, I want to do some rapid fire questions with you, okay. like we like to now do mm-hmm. with our guests. I'm going to ask you a few things. What is a movie that you have seen more than five times? So I don't know if I've ever seen a movie more than five times, but uh-huh. if there's one that I have, it's probably Avengers Endgame. And is so I'm guessing that's the favorite of the Avengers movie. Yes. For you. Yes. It gives me all the feels, <laughs> um, especially the scene when everybody comes back to life. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of coming back to life, I got to ask you if you had to blip, if Thanos came and blipped <laughs> Fellini or Bertolucci out of history Ooh. entirely. I, I know this is brutal. Yeah. Which one goes? So I would blip Fellini. <laughs> I, I, I don't like Fellini's films, and I'm probably in the minority on that. So, wow. Well, I like Bertolucci. He's yeah, good. I love Bertolucci. Yeah. So um, it's going to it definitely change um, many film programs. Uh, syllabi. <laughs> yes. If we flipped Fellini <laughs> out of the world. Um, OK, um, what's a movie that you think has sort of unjustly flown under the radar? Maybe like convince our listeners that they should yeah. check something out. Um, so I'll sort of go with a nostalgic one here. And I'd say um, Scott Program versus the world. I think it's. It's a cult film, but it's yeah. not one that I think a lot of people are familiar with. Uh-huh. Um, and I love it. And if 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 you go and watch that and you love it, um, more recently, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once yes. to me was very Scott Pilgrim-esque. Right. I um I can see that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just sort of the uh the awareness of form and the yes. kind of, you know, postmodern uh play exactly. at work with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, okay, what's your favorite movie snack? I'm just a popcorn guy. I like myself some butter popcorn. <laughs> you do? Yeah. So so I wouldn't ask you the question. Sometimes I ask people, what would you rather have? Somebody like crunching popcorn right behind you or somebody with a cell phone in a theater with on in front of you? Probably the cell phone is what I wouldn't want. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. popcorn, hey, you're, you're chomping on some popcorn. Yeah. Too, so I mean, you expect you. that there, right? And, you know, I think for the most part, it's not as disturbing as as someone lighting up light. this, yeah, this dark theater <laughs> yes. in the middle of the movie you're trying to enjoy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know the, the 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 looks that I try to flash, <laughs> but it's all in vain because you're in the dark. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it can't see you anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. Likewise. Thank you so much. I hope that we'll have you again in the future. Um, Anytime. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today on From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our sound engineer, Hannah Guevara, and Johnny Stallings, who composed our podcast soundtrack. 
Visit ic.byu.edu for upcoming films and showtimes. Until next week, keep seeing great international movies.